I've been talking about uh, relationships, uh, kind of keying in on marriage. But if you're single today, can I tell you this still applies? This can be applied to every relationship in your life. And uh, if you're not married now, you may be married again. Some of you may say, I know I don't want to be married again. Uh, I don't know what your situation is. But even if you're not married, you can apply these principles to every relationship. And this will be the last one on marriage today. Uh, but I wanted to, I believe that Satan is attacking our families. Amen. How many believe that? And uh, at the core of that are marriages. And I believe Satan is doing his best to tear families apart by tearing marriages apart. If he can get mom and dad apart, then he can pretty much rip the whole family apart. And so uh, we're going to talk about, we've been talking about that the last few weeks. We talked about this, opposites attract, but guess what? As you're married a few years, opposites attack. Amen. Uh, that all those things you thought were so cute and funny and uh, were so endearing to that person when you were dating, you get married and all of a sudden they're not so cute anymore and they're not so endearing. And so all those little things start to bug you. Amen. Now, opposites attract for a reason. We we marry somebody usually because we see qualities in them and we see things in them that we don't see in ourselves. And that's what draws us to them, because you are literally to complete each other. When you get married, you are to be a helpmate for each other. That means in the areas that I'm weak, my wife um, is stronger in and vice versa. Amen. That's the way it's supposed to be. That's why opposites attract. Maybe you didn't know why. It's because we are to be complete each other. And so she has the strengths I don't have. And hopefully I got some strengths that she doesn't have. Amen. Uh, so uh, I, I will share some today about my own marriage because uh, I ain't married to any of y'all. I'm married to this woman right up here on the front row. And so it, that's the only place I can really share stories from, all right? But uh, we want to talk today about relationships uh, because relationships almost never end up as expected. Now, I don't know about you. I told y'all at the beginning of this, I like a good romantic comedy. How many of you like romantic comedies? Amen. It's okay, men. It's okay. I still have my man card, Jared. It's okay, amen. But it's, you can be a man and like romantic comedies, all right? But the problem with romantic comedies and the problem with Hollywood in general is everything has to be tied up in a nice little package at the end of two hours. And that means there usually has to be a happy ending and there's usually all, all the problems are solved and everything's tied up in a neat little package at the end of two hours and they live happily what? Come on, they live happily what? Ever after. Now, reality is not so much that, is it? Reality is that things rarely and relationships rarely end up as you expected them to end up. Maybe you're like, I don't know where my white house and my white picket fence went, but I ain't got it yet. Amen. And I've been married to this man for 30 years and he still hadn't gotten me my white picket fence. In other words, things don't always end up the way that we think they're going to end up. Maybe your marriage didn't quite go the direction you thought it was going to go. Maybe that person didn't turn out uh, the way you thought they ought to turn out. Now listen, there is no such thing in this room as a perfect wife. Wives, can you say amen? <laughs> that was not <laughs> Y'all didn't say that with enthusiasm. There's no such thing as a perfect wife, is there, women? And now I know the women will say amen. There is no such thing as a perfect husband. Amen, all right. <laughs> there is no such thing. So put the romantic comedies out of your mind. Put the happily ever after out of your mind. We're going to talk about real life today, all right? And the last one in the message is called keeping your covenant. Because when you got married, I don't know whether you realize it or not, if you got married and you said some vows, then you were making a covenant between you, 
your spouse and God, all right? Not just you and your spouse. God was also involved, all right? And so we want to talk about keeping your covenant. So the first scripture, if you'll turn there, is Matthew chapter 19, verses 3 through 6. We're going to talk a little bit about divorce, all right? Now, I want to give you good news. If you're in here today and you've been divorced, uh, man, God gives us a chance to start over. God forgives us, starts over. I can even guarantee you that most of you in this room, if you are divorced, you would probably say, you know, I have to take some ownership of that. Uh, it usually takes two to make a marriage work. Guess what? It takes that same two to mess one up. Amen. And so many people, they get married when they're young sometimes, and they maybe before they're even saved, before they know the Lord. And so many times uh, I've met married many um, uh, people who've been divorced, and they say, I was not the husband I should have been. I was not the wife I should have been. I was young, I was stupid, I made a lot of mistakes, and I take ownership of that, all right? And I think that's a very mature way to look at it, because guess what? It takes two to make it work, it takes two for it not to work, all right? So we're going to look at the reality of this today, and the Pharisees were always asking Jesus questions, and it was not because of their great desire for learning, it was because they hated Jesus, they hated what he stood for. Uh, he came and he was all about uh, the sinner and setting the sinner free, setting the captives free, and they were all about the law and looking holier than thou. And I look better than you, and I'm, I'm a Pharisee, I'm a Sadducee, so I'm better than you. I'm more intelligent than you. I'm holier than you, all right? And so this was the Pharisees and the Sadducees' whole attitude, all right? So when they're asking these questions, they're just trying to trip Jesus up. They're not doing it out of a heart of really wanting to learn. So let's look at these verses, verses 3 through 6. The Pharisees also came to him, testing him, and saying to him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? All right. And he answered and said to them, have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And I want you to underline this part if you got it in your Bible or, uh, or just make a note of it. And the two shall become what? The two shall become what? One flesh. So literally this covenant, and many of you said these verses in your vows, that you shall leave your father and your mother, and the two shall become one flesh. All right? So that's very important. Is there one more verse on that? Yeah. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man what? Let no man what? Let no man separate. Okay. Very good. What God unites, when you stood before your family and your friends and God, and you said these vows, what God unites, the minute you said those vows, the devil was already scheming to divide. He was already scheming to tear your marriage up. Why does the enemy hate your marriage so much? Because it is God-ordained. Because it is a godly, God-ordained covenant. And anything that God loves, Satan hates, all right? So we're going to look to three approaches to marriage. These are three ways that people look at marriage, all right? And I'm going to let you decide where yours is, all right? The first one is the casual approach. Oh, you know, marriage is just a piece of paper. Don't really mean that much, you know. Number two is the contractual approach. Marriage is a contract, 
All right, I'm going to sign my name on the dotted line. Here, honey, you sign your name on the dotted line. And there's a bunch of conditions in there. And as long as you meet these conditions, and as long as we are faithful to the contract, then we're good. The minute you break the contract, I'm out of here. All right? So it's the contract. I have a contract with you, but if you break the contract, all bets are off. Okay? And then number three is the one we want to gear towards today is the covenantal approach. All right? Marriage is a holy covenant that's established by God, ordained by God, and blessed by God. Amen? So we want to, uh, to go about there. All right? So we're going to look at these and break each one down individually. All right? Number one, if y'all don't mind, I'm going to sit down for a little bit. Number one is the casual approach. What does the casual approach say? Ah, uh, marriage doesn't matter. Just a piece of paper. Now, this is a pretty prevalent, predominant one in our society today. A lot of people say, we're going to live together. We may never get married. I may not ever get married. And uh, it's just I see too much divorce. Maybe people come out of a divorced home, and they just see that it caused so much heartache. And so it's just easier for us to just not get into that agreement. That way, if you really tick me off, and I don't like the way you brushed your teeth this morning, or I don't like what you said to me, then I can just bail, and I'll take my stuff, you take your stuff. No piece of paper, no contract. It's simple, simple and easy, all right? All right? So the casual approach. Uh, marriage doesn't matter, uh, but I may give it a try. A casual approach uh, uh, says that uh, since marriage doesn't matter, um, I'm going to move in with this person. We're going to live together. Uh, and, you know, a lot of people would use this. I hear this, this excuse, too. Well, we're really married in our hearts. <laughs> we're really married in our hearts. But we don't want to put too much commitment to it because, again, if I want to bail, I want to be able to bail. All right? Um, it's convenient. Now, listen, if you're looking at it strictly from a worldly point of view or an economic point of view, then all this is true. It's convenient. We can save money. Uh, we're just testing things out. Uh, you know, we're committed to each other, but we're just leaving our options open. Amen? Um, I'm not married. Now, here's the reality of it. I'm not married, but I'm doing married things. Things that are really, if you read your Bible, are only supposed to be reserved for the marriage bed. So... You know, when you're living together, are you really just living together? Are you really just roommates? No. You're not married, but you're doing married things, okay? And uh, then here's what happens many times if people live with somebody over a period of time in this culture that we live in today. And listen, whether you think it's prevalent or not, there was research done. 57% of adults say, I'm either currently living with somebody of the opposite sex or I have in the past lived with somebody of the opposite sex. 57%. Okay? So, uh, it happens a lot. But when people tend to live together and they end up over time living with several other people, what happens? That once they do, if, they, if somebody comes along and they do finally decide, you know what, I think I want to marry that person, they have a tougher time. And even when they do marry somebody, they're much more quick to just run to divorce because they've always had that open-ended option. So if I've always just lived with people and then I finally do decide, you know what, you're pretty good, I'm going to marry you, uh, there's always that door that you've been used to having. 
when you didn't commit to, to the other person, you've always left that swinging door open where if I want to bail, I can bail, all right? Now, that's why there's a difference between a contractual approach and a covenant approach, all right? So let's move on to the contractual approach, all right? Contractual approach says this, <laughs> and this is the reality. A contract is based on mutual distrust. <laughs> it really is. Why do we have contracts? Because I don't really trust you, amen? Now, I trust Brother Martin, but I'm going to use him as the example since uh, he's, he's sitting here on the front, amen? Uh, if, if Brother Martin and I get into a contract, now, listen, if, I, if we totally trust each other, we may do a man's agreement or a handshake agreement. We may say, uh, hey, Brother Martin, will you do this for me? And he says, yes, I will. And I say, well, let's shake hands on that. I trust you. You trust me. We're just going to make a man's agreement. We trust each other, all right? But guess what? If we don't trust each other, and maybe I feel like, I, you know, I really need to cover my bases. So I may bring a contract to Brother Martin and say, Brother Martin, it ain't that I don't trust you, but I, I really don't trust you. But uh, we are going to, we're going to sign this contract. And this contract will line out all of the things so that if you break the contract, then I have a right to pull out. And it, it states all of your rights and agreements. It states all of my rights and agreements, all right? So it's based on a mutual distrust. Um, all right, a contract is generally temporary. If Brother Martin and I enter into a contract, it generally has a time period, and it has a very defined and set period of time, and that will run out, all right? It also um, has, uh, as long as you deliver, Brother Martin, as long as you do your part in the contract, then the contract is valid, and as long as I do my part in the contract as it's laid out, then the contract is valid. But Brother Martin, if you don't do everything specified in there, uh, then guess what? I have the right to break the contract and pull out. Or vice versa, if I don't do everything I'm supposed to do as lined out in the contract, then he has the right to pull out of the contract. What is that saying? In other words, as long as you deliver, Brother Martin, I'm all in. As long as you deliver. But the minute you don't deliver, the minute you stumble, the minute that you mess up, I'm out. All right? Uh, as long as you don't betray me or hurt me, and as long as you make me happy, amen? It sounds like Brother Martin and I are getting married, amen? But we're not. All right, we're just saying kind. But as long as you make me happy, Brother Martin, then we're okay, all right? Now, this is the way many people approach marriage. We have entered into a contract, and as long as you hold up your end of the bargain, I'm all in. But the minute you don't, the minute you mess up, the minute you go outside of the parameters of that contract, then I'm out, and I have the right to bail. Listen, do you know marriage is not about your right to bail? Marriage is a covenant that basically you're making with God. And here's the reality. Now I'm going to move. I'm moving to marriage. So, Brother Martin, I love you, but I don't love you like that. I'm going to move over here, all right? So when Julie and I entered into this contract of marriage, so to speak, all right, um, it was a covenant, not a contract. Because the covenant basically says this. You remember your vows for richer or <laughs> she's got that one down. Amen. I have taught her that one. Amen. She knows about poor uh, in sickness and in. Yeah. And so it goes through all of these dichotomies because what it's basically saying is a covenant says this. Even if you mess up, I'm all in. Even if things don't go the way we thought they were going to go, I'm all in. Even if you betray me, I'm all in. Now, see, a lot of people, they want to immediately go to all the things in the Bible that says, 
here's your grounds for divorce. But you gotta, you got to look at that and read it more closely. It doesn't say that you are supposed to get divorced. If one of you is unfaithful, it doesn't say that you have to get divorced. It says you have grounds for divorce, but it really says that you are to work to forgive that person. Now, listen, well, Brother Mark, that ain't easy. No, I'm not saying that's easy. I'm not saying that's easy to do, I'm not, but I am telling you that mercy, love, forgiveness, all of the things that have been demonstrated on the cross towards you are, are the way that you're supposed to be approaching your marriage and your spouse. I am supposed to forgive like Christ forgave me. I am supposed to show mercy like Christ showed to me. Amen. And so that is the marriage covenant. You remember what's at the end of the marriage vows? Till death separates us. Amen. And that goes back to that verse that says, What God has joined together, let no man separate. In other words, I'm all in, honey. Doesn't matter. We're going to have rough patches. We may do the wrong thing. We may, be, we may mess up. We may do the wrong thing. But I am in. I am all in. And I am fighting with everything I've got for this marriage because of mercy, grace, and forgiveness. And listen, that's not easy, but that's the way you need to approach your marriage. It is a covenant to say, I'm all in until death separates us. Now, what is till death separates us? That's pretty definitive, isn't it? That means as long as you're breathing, as long as I'm breathing, we are no longer two, but we are what? One. All right? So, contractual approach says, if you break the contract or I'm not happy, I'm out. All right? And this is what a contractual approach, many people move from the casual approach of living together into a contractual approach. Because they still want to have that swinging door over here to be able to say, yeah, okay, we're going to go ahead and get the piece of paper but I still want that door open in case you don't make me happy. And I still want to have that option open, all right? Now, let's move on to the one we've all been waiting for. The one we're all shooting for is the covenant approach, all right? A covenant is based on mutual commitment, unconditional commitment, motivated by a sacrificial love for each other. The greatest thing that you can look at in the Bible to show you how marriage ought to be is look at the cross. What did Jesus do for you on the cross? Did you deserve for him to be nailed to that cross and pay for your sins? No, you didn't deserve it. Have you done things in your life that betrayed what Jesus Christ did for you and his mercy and his grace? Sure you have. Have you done things to literally, maybe you weren't there at the foot of the cross physically spitting on him and calling him names, but in a way weren't we all represented by those folks who were standing at the foot of the cross and did nothing to stop it. We're all, literally, we're all at the foot of the cross saying, I was there, Lord, and I didn't do anything to stop it. And what did Jesus look down on all those people and say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This is the same approach you need to take to your marriage. This is the same approach you need to take towards your spouse. My wife has great mercy, wonderful grace forgiveness amen and thank god she does because that's what a marriage is about amen it's not about well these are my rights that's what everybody wants to yell well you know well they messed up and they they didn't keep their end of the bargain so what about my rights listen jesus says it ain't about your rights do you think i was getting my rights when i was hanging on the cross for you when i was spilling my blood for you no that was all about mercy 
and grace. And that was about my unconditional love for you. And that's exactly way, the way you need to have that love for that spouse. All right. Uh, let's see here. So I'm going to give you, I don't know if you like history or not, or if you like uh, deep stuff, we'll get a little bit deep here. A covenant was based on an Old Testament Hebrew word called berith. All right. There it is on the screen there. Old Testament Hebrew word called berith. And the meaning was a cutting or the shedding of blood. All right. So if you went to an Old Testament Hebrew wedding, they would literally, now some guys used to do this. Uh, any of you guys ever do the blood brother thing? Yeah. Where two guys say, we're going to be blood brothers, and you'd cut, put a little cut on your hand, you get the blood to ooze out, and then you'd shake hands and mingle your blood together, and you become blood brothers. That was literally, that comes from uh, an Old Testament Hebrew wedding, all right? And the, uh, the priest would literally cut the hands of the bride and the groom, and then he would have them join hands, mingle their blood together, and what did that represent? That represented the two becoming one, all right? And so in a covenant... Here's the kicker. In the covenant, blood was always shed. All right? So in the covenant, you may not physically do that. You probably didn't physically do that at your wedding, but that was symbolically what you were doing. You were joining your blood together, and you were saying, this is a blood covenant. A blood covenant sealed it. And it was not a contract. It was a covenant based on sacrificial and unconditional love for one another. You, they didn't see it as a contract. They saw it as, I love you unconditionally. And I'm all in until we stop breathing, all right? And I'm making this blood covenant with you, amen? All right, so marriage is a holy covenant. Now, you may be saying to me today, but you don't understand, Brother Mark. You are not married to the person I'm married to. I'll let you chew on that one for a second. Listen, I would say to you, yeah, that's right. And guess what? They ain't married probably to the person they thought you were going to be either. Amen. The road goes both ways. And as I said before, it takes two to make it work. It takes two to mess it up. All right? Brother Mark, you don't understand how bad my marriage is. Listen, I would tell you this. Marriage on its best day is hard, hard work. It is work you have to put in. You've got to learn to pray hard. You've got to learn to forgive hard. You've got to learn to love them when they are unlovable. Now listen, Julie Trammell, she's always lovable, amen. She makes it easy, but she's married to Mark Trammell. It's not always, I'm not always lovable. I do a lot of really cute things. She doesn't think they're so cute all the time, amen. In fact, sometimes they aggravate her and they annoy her, amen. But guess what? She is to love me even when I am unlovable. Your marriage is only as good as you decide it is going to be. And I've said this over the last few weeks, that you can't change that other person as much as we'd like to. I know a lot of women that marry a guy and say, oh, he's my project. Mm -hmm. I'm shaping him. I'm molding him. I'm changing him. And listen, that is not the right approach. You cannot change that person, all right? Now, they can change themselves, and maybe you can influence them to say, you know what, you need to work on these areas. And if they decide that you're right, then they can work on themselves. But listen, I don't have the power to change her. There are some things, would I like to tweak a few things? No, she's perfect, amen. But I'm sure there's plenty of things she would like to tweak about me, amen. But the thing about it is, 
we don't have the power. We're human beings, and we don't have the power to change each other. The only person you have the power to change is you. So that means if she becomes the best version of herself, guess what that's going to do? That's going to have a positive impact on me, and it's going to influence me and say, you know what? Man, I see Julie is really trying to be the best she can be and the best wife she can be, the best mother she can be. You know, I need to, I need to work on me. Amen? And that's how it works. And guess what? There is one person that has the power to change your spouse, and it ain't you. It's called the Holy Spirit of God. That's why the first thing I said, learn to pray hard, learn to pray hard. There have been amazing times where I've said, now I know I said she's perfect, but I was lying just a little bit, all right? There have been times where I've gone to the Lord and I've said, Lord, Julie, she just ain't seeing this the right way. And Lord, I really feel like this is what you're telling me, but she ain't, we're not on the same page. So Holy Spirit, I need you to change her mind, change her heart, soften her attitude. Lord, if this is really what you want, then I need you to change her because I can't. And you know what happens? The Lord can do it. The Spirit can do it because the Holy Spirit has the ability to change you from the inside out, which we don't have that power to do. All right? So prayer, it's amazing what prayer can do if you begin to pray for your spouse. All right? Now, can I say this? And this is going to be a hard one. It is not about feelings. It's not about feelings. I'm divorcing my spouse because I'm not happy. And surely the Lord wants me to be happy. You better scripture and verse that for me because it ain't in there. It's not about your happiness. It's not about your feelings. It's a covenant with God and God says, this person ain't always going to make you happy. This person is going to really challenge your patience. And I'm here to tell you, it is not about your feelings. God has one purpose for your life and my life and your marriage and my marriage. And that's that his name might be glorified. That means in the good times, the bad times. That sometimes means in order for God to be glorified, we got to suck our pride up and we got to get on the same page. And that may mean I have to admit I'm wrong or she has to admit she's wrong. Amen. And that's the way it works. I don't feel like being nice and forgiving. I don't feel like working at it. I don't feel like forgiving them. I don't feel like loving them. I had somebody tell me just two weeks ago in uh, marriage counseling that, you know, I love my wife, but I don't know if I'm in love with my wife anymore. Somebody said that to me. I said, well, that's a very dangerous statement. I said, did you stand before God and did you make a covenant? Because you made that covenant to love her even when you didn't feel the love. Even when a richer, poor, sickness, health, through the good times and the bad times, you made that commitment. It is not about your feelings. And i give you an example. How many other areas in your life can you make that excuse? I had this baby. Um, I'm not going to feed my baby today. It wears me out. Uh, I'm not going to feed my baby. I'm not going to provide lunch for my little kids. I just don't feel like it today. That's stupidity, isn't it? Your CPS is going to be called on you. You're going to have your kids taken away from you. you. God gave you this kid. It's your job to feed it, whether you feel like it or you don't feel like it. Well, you know, I don't really feel like working. I don't think I'm going to show up for work in the next three weeks. What will you be doing? You will be looking for another job. Amen? Well, I just don't feel like it. I'm not feeling work today. You ever been there? 
I, I'm just not, I'm not feeling work today. I'm feeling fishing today. I ain't feeling working today. Amen. So I'm just not going to go in. No. If you want to keep the job, you go and you show up at the job whether you feel like it or you don't feel like it. Some people look at church, you know, and they say, well, Brother Mark, that's your, you know. Some people look at church as, uh, you know, they got a job to do here and, uh, you know, they'll just send me a deal. Hey, I'm not going to be there. And guess what? Church still happens. It's still happening whether you show up here or not. So guess what? We got to figure something out. And it's like, well, I just wasn't feeling it today. You know, sprung an eyelash, got up, and my elbow hurts this morning. I don't think I can come down there and teach my class today. Amen. Guess what? It's got to still happen. It's got to do it. Well, I just don't feel like it. Well, it doesn't matter. It's still got to happen. Somebody's going to show up in that class. Somebody got to be taught. Amen. So guess what? It keeps happening. Or you may say, you know what? I don't like paying taxes. Government takes too much. I think for the next 10 years, I just ain't going to pay my taxes. All right. Well, let me know how that works out for you. Amen. You may be spending time behind bars. Amen. I just don't feel it. I don't like it. There are tons of things in life. I don't like it. I don't feel it. But guess what? You dang sure better do it. Amen. And your marriage is one of those. Amen. God gave you your marriage. God gave you your family. God gave you your children. There were some mornings that I woke up and my kids wanted to act like demons. Y'all ever been there? Now, they're all grown and out of the house now. Praise God. Amen. Uh, but when they, when they were in those teenage years and preteen years, there were mornings at our house I would swear demons had moved in in the night. Amen. And it was not going well. But guess what? I couldn't just quit. I couldn't just bail. They're still there. I still got to raise them. It's got to be done. So uh, quit those excuses. We're just very good as excuses, all right? In the Old Testament, there was a lamb. I don't know if you remember the Passover lamb. Do you remember that? And uh, the, they were told to take the blood of the lamb, and they were to put it over their doorpost. And if the blood was over the doorpost, what would happen? Then the death angel would pass by. Guess what? Then the new covenant happened. Jesus came and he spilled his blood and he became the lamb. And guess what? His blood is over the doorpost of your life. His blood is over the doorpost of your marriage. His blood is over the doorpost of your family. And you don't deserve it. And I don't deserve it. But he is good. And it is a blessing. Your marriage is a blessing. Your family is a blessing. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me? There's one more scripture. I want you to keep your head bowed. I'm going to read this scripture over you. Because in a covenant, this covenant, God's involved. And in 2 Timothy 2.13, here's what it said. It said, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. What's that saying? God says in the covenant, your marriage covenant, whether you mean business or not, I, God, mean business. And whether you're faithful or not, I'm going to remain faithful. If we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. Amen. Now, maybe you're here this morning and I never want to give an opportunity to pass by. Maybe you don't even know what is going on. Maybe you don't even know what the blood of Jesus you're taught. You're like, what does all that mean, the blood of Jesus and him dying on the cross? I want to tell you today the heart of the gospel is this, that Jesus Christ loved you 
Bible says in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The heart of the gospel is this. God sent his son Jesus to come, and he died on the cross for your sins and my sins, to pay the penalty of sin for all of us. And we cannot work to get to heaven. We cannot be good enough. The Bible says that it is by faith we are saved, through faith, not of ourselves. It's the gift of God. So if you're here today and you say, Brother Mark, I'm not sure if I'd go to heaven if I were to die right now. I want to guarantee you today, he is as close as a prayer away. So if that's you, or maybe you're just not sure, maybe you need to just nail it down, maybe you just need to recommit yourself, you can say this prayer in your heart also. So pray this prayer with me if that's you. Just say, Dear Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner. And Lord, I believe you died on that cross for my sins. And right now, the best way I know how, I ask you, Jesus, to forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart and save me. Dear Jesus, I pray for every one of these marriages represented in this room, every one of these families represented in this room. Holy Spirit of God, bless them. Lord, turn your face upon them. Let your face shine upon them, Father God. Bless them. And God, bless their marriages. I pray that you would rekindle the flame of love in some marriages where the flame has gone out. Lord, I pray that, God, you would uh, give them a heart of love for each other where maybe the love has gone by the wayside. And, Lord, I pray that, God, you would just solidify and you would strengthen every single marriage in this place, Father God. And I pray for families and families with young kids and teenagers. God, would you let them know that, the Lord, the very future of their family depends on their covenant with you and depends on their commitment to one another, Father. So, Lord, we praise you and we thank you for loving us like you do, Father. Uh, and bless everyone here in Jesus' name. Amen.